Hello, welcome to Women Developing Brilliance. I'm Casey Rossi, your transformative business coach. It's my great pleasure to present interesting stories of creative women sharing their message and lighting up the world with their presence and offerings. Get ready to be inspired. You can learn more about creating a business that you love by visiting kcrossi.com. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Women Developing Brilliance. I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Molly Larkin, who is just a gem. She is a life coach and a mental health nurse and also a good friend of mine. I am very blessed to know her and usually follow whatever she advises because it's spot on. So without further ado, welcome, Molly. I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks, Casey. I am delighted to be here with you and your people today. Awesome. Sounds good. So I know you have a lot of experience, but I would love to hear in your words, like, who are you? Who's Molly Larkin? Just a simple, small question to start out. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I feel like I am continually finding out. Um, I can tell you about what I love and I can tell you about... um, what I do, but who am I? Um, that's, that's a question that I feel like is constantly in process. And I love that. Like, I love feeling less and less wedded to any kind of um, static idea of who I am. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's such a free flow way to go through and it gives us permission. I know you're going to get into your work, but it's so interesting because so much of your work is giving us permission and permission to just be who we are and where we are. I know a lot of your work, even from a personal standpoint, you meet people exactly where they are in their journey. So I think that's really beautiful. You know, I find that anything else is not the truth. Because, we're forcing. Yeah, we're forcing and or, or we're, 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 we're pretending, which I do plenty of the time. We all do. It's kind of what we do when we're dressed up in these bodies and these egos, but um, there's so much more life that can come in when we let go of our ideas of how we should be or where we should be. Absolutely. Tell us how you got to this journey. I know that um, you don't get here easily. So what brought you to this work? What's your personal story, your personal why? Yeah. um, You know, From a professional standpoint, I always was drawn to mental health. I wanted to be a therapist. Mm. I've always loved people and loved um, knowing how people work, getting like, like um, having access to people's intimate lives, Mm. their, 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 the lives of their thoughts and their hearts to me is like, I mean, there's nothing more incredible than that. So I wanted to be a therapist and then I found myself unexpectedly pregnant at a young age. And then I just wanted to make enough money to support myself and my son, you know? Yeah. So I went, I went into nursing and um, it just never was quite a fit like I wanted it to be. And so 
um, I kept kind of having this impulse, like this pull to do something more. Um, by that point, I was working as a mental health nurse because that was kind of as close as I could get to, to being with people in the way that I love to be with people. Mm. Um, and so I saw what the therapists were doing within the healthcare system. And that actually was not so appealing to me. Mm. And I had heard about life coaching and I thought, oh, life coaching. And as I looked more into it, I was like, oh gosh, that's what I want to do. Mm. And I almost was like, it was almost like I was embarrassed to say it out loud, like that I wanted to be a life coach, like, come on, you know, um, I, it felt to me like something that wasn't serious or like, doesn't everybody want to do that? Or, you know, and, and ultimately the little pull didn't go away. And so eventually I signed up for a training and, and that kind of opened door after door after door. And I do believe that when you have one of those, like that, that kind of inner pull, um, it's trustable. It's something we can trust that. Absolutely. How long did it take you? Like after you had that feeling like from what was the timeline from being in nursing and knowing this isn't quite my fit, there's something else. And then being brave enough to listen to the life coaching pull. How long of a process is that? Because I think a lot of listeners probably um, more than we even know, have that little voice of, I want something more. I know my, my life is a bigger purpose, but, and then all the reasons why we shouldn't do it come in. So what was it like for you? Like, how did you overcome that? What was the timeline from this is ridiculous. Who am I to be this all the way to, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm going to own it. Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, I think a lot of factors kind of converged to push me out of the, I would say comfort zone, but it was more of a misery zone that I was living in. Because I think a lot of my life, I don't think I know a lot of my life at that point was lived in this way of like, you can't have that. That's not for you. That's too much to want. Mm. You know, I was, I was so constricted by my own mind. And that kind of, um, came to a head in many ways and I got into recovery and I, um, which we can talk about more later, but yeah, um, absolutely. And I really, really, um, kind of embarked on a path of living from my heart, living more, more authentically to use a word that's often overused, but living more in integrity with myself mm -hmm. and I couldn't ignore it anymore. So it was almost like, it was like suffering kind of wore me down. Mm. And then I started to be like, well, what's the worst that can happen? So, I mean, it depends how you look at it. It could, I could say it was, you know, 15 years of really living in a hellish existence. Wow. That's intense. <laughs> you know? That is no small, small amount of time. No, it's not. But from the time that that kind of like, like, I think that even the, even the fact that I had that impulse kind of rising up in me, this kind of like creative impulse was a sign that I was starting to get better. And maybe from that time that really started arising in a way that I couldn't ignore to me taking action on it. That took a couple years. You know, I ignored it for a while. We do um, that. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still do. Often, one of my favorite questions is, like, what are you trying not to know? Wow. You know, because I'll tuck things out, even, even things that are 
so mm-hmm. exciting or so, you know, because they ask us to go back to your earlier question. They ask us to let go of the idea of who we think mm-hmm. we are and open into this groundlessness, this unknown place. It's so interesting. One, I commend your bravery of jumping in the unknown and trusting yourself and also trusting your own intuition. I think that's so powerful and such a message for people that whole like, what am I afraid of? What am I waiting to be like? Like, I think so many times and I know Marianne Williamson talks about this, that we're more afraid of success than than failure. And I think that that could be its own whole topic right there because we could completely deep dive into that, especially as women, women that lead towards, um, lean towards caregiving and perfectionism. I think that there's a huge, huge open topic that is um, probably worth exploring at another time, but I do think that that's so interesting and I, I definitely commend your bravery on that. And one of the things that I read that you had written that really stuck out to me was that you're schooled through your suffering. And that line like really touched my heart. Like it really, I sat with that for a while. Could you explain if you could like be a little vulnerable and explain what you mean by that and, and how that kind of cracked you open to who you are now? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say first that I don't in any way like romanticize suffering or glorify it or think it's the only way to grow. However, my experience has been that I did suffer pretty deeply. Um, I struggled with, with serious eating disorders, um, addiction, alcohol, um, and drug abuse. Um, basically like anything that would give me an out from my current experience, which often was, um, filled with a lot of anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, and some of that is a result of different trauma that I encountered along the way. Some of it is maybe genetics. Some of it is maybe karma. Like, I don't know. Um, but well, I was in the middle of all that darkness, you know, I could call it addiction just for a kind of a catch-all for all those different ways that I was trying to escape life. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't see that, that um, I couldn't see the gifts that were buried in there. And really, I think that that's the case with any recovery process, you do need to get a little bit of distance on it before you can really see. But because I lived there for such a long time and because none of the mental processes that I applied to try to get out of there would work, like Hmm. none of them, you know, actually that ended up being Hmm. my greatest teacher and, and continues to be. Now I don't struggle anymore with on that level, Mm-hmm. But I continue to try to use my mind in ways that it ha- places where it has no business, no no effectiveness, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. So when I say I was schooled by my own suffering, it's like I was suffering badly. I was stuck, mm-hmm. and I would try this, and then I would try that, and then I would try the other thing. And it's not that that effort was wasted. It's just that we can't think our way out of our our own mental constrictions. It's not possible. 
It's so true. It's absolutely so true. So when people come to you, is um, how is that process? Because we're so used to befriending our mind and listening to all the automatic negative thoughts, you know, the ants that kind of run through and march their way on a daily basis. I forget the stats, but it's like thousands of negative thoughts on a daily basis. And the majority of those are repetitive. So it's like, we just keep digging that groove so deep. How do you unwind that for people that come to you? I know that a big part of your work is to kind of align them with their own wisdom and to one of your sayings is that you kind of connect them to that innate brightness within their own heart. What's the process to kind of step back from that mental pattern and go in a different direction. How do you shift that for people? Yeah. So I think it begins by simply noticing. And a lot of people don't want to slow down. They, we want it to be faster. We want it to be different. We want, you know, I work with women in food, for example. We want a new plan. We, we know how to follow a plan. We don't want to start to watch our minds and, and, and catch the patterns that run. Because that's all that's going on up here. Mostly, as you said, it's a lot of repetitive stories, thoughts, you know, and we could get in there and we could apply a lot of positive thinking and that can work for a little while. I'm nothing against positive thinking, but it's almost like, it's like there's an avalanche of negative thoughts and you're trying to, it, it, it puts, there's a, there's a certain amount of um, resistance when we try to out, out positive our negativity, you know, <laughs> I love that <laughs> your question kind of simply, it's like, I think we need to start to understand, first of all, mm. that there's all this thought happening. It's, it's happening. You can't stop it. You didn't create it. Like you didn't decide to repetitively think about the size of your thighs for like, you know, on, on repeat, but also it's so, so because of that, like when you start to see that you can see that's not you. You're not doing it. You can't stop it. But it's also not that important. We don't have to, not a command. We, you know, a lot of us live as if this, this thinking process is like, you know, it's like, okay, thought said, do this. I'm going over here. Like, you know. It's and, our controller many times. Yeah. Yeah. Or we're, yeah. And, and so we think then the way that we need to like go and do battle with it. Mm -hmm. stop the stop all that thinking it's like good luck <laughs> you know that's just the way it works it is but if we can start to see that a whole lot of choice a whole lot of space opens up it's like we could even be having those repetitive negative thoughts so is your way to embrace the thoughts? I mean, I know that I've heard like our mind is like a monkey mind, you know, constantly chattering and jumping from branch to branch or that, you know, our thoughts can be kind of um, likened to Medusa with 10,000 snakes just going in all different directions. Do you then show people how to embrace the thoughts or um, acknowledge and let them go? Or how do you work through that? Because it is such a natural tendency to be controlled like a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, my mind yeah. told me this. Oh, my mind's telling me to think this. I must be this. Yeah. I think that I teach people how to watch it so that we can choose our actions in alignment with our values. So, 
so to let let the thinking leave it alone basically leave it alone you know notice that it's happening notice that it's not you and look we're all going to get caught i get caught continually in my thinking but even that it doesn't need to be such a big deal Mm. I love that. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you've had struggles with addiction and then also that you help people coming to you that have food issues in your line of work with your life coaching and your background with um, mental health and nursing. Are you starting to specialize or is that kind of your niche right now is is helping people with food issues? That's a huge part of what I do in my private practice is that, is that I work with people to help them actually come into a peaceful relationship with food and their bodies, that, that eating and, and weight really don't have to be that hard. And um, I really believe that. I've experienced that. I've seen that in my clients. Mm-hmm. And part of that is learning how to work with the mind, for sure. Part of that work also is looking at the larger culture and the really powerful and um, continual messages that we're pummeled with, mm-hmm. especially as women, about how bodies should be, that eating needs to be controlled, that you know there's a right and a wrong. And, and again, noticing all that, stepping back from it so that we come into a place where we have autonomy. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, like what I'm interested in is that deep sense of inner autonomy, whether it's with food, whether it's with relationships, mm-hmm. you know, um, that sense that we can operate from level being instead of level thinking. And that takes some time. It does. It's so interesting because it should be kind of like the innate um, way that we move through the world, just like the, the innocent children when they come in, like they don't have a rule book, they're not conditioned, they have this beautiful fresh slate. I'll say fresh loosely because I believe in karma and that we come in with certain destinies. But they're in this topic, I think the sense that the mind isn't attacking them. They can be free and play and like you watch them and they giggle and it's, it's really fun and innocent and joyful. And then somehow we get to adulthood and sometimes younger. And all of a sudden we forget, like we're detached from this innocence and this, um, we become very reactive and almost like slaves to society and our mental patterns. Uh, I know everyone's unique, but the, the type of person that comes to you, um, who are they? Like what's, what's some of their experiences? Or even if you have maybe a case study that we could just learn, where were they before they came to you? And then like, what's the process working with you? And then what's the outcome? So people can kind of understand the depth of this, the, this type of work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have, like I said, I have a couple of tracks. So there's the people who come to me to work around food and weight. And there's people who come to me to work with things like anxiety or people who are in recovery and they're still just feeling confined by their mental processes, right? uh, But I would say that as a pattern that runs across all of those people, there's some perfectionism. These are people who, who may or may not recognize that in themselves, because they, the perfectionism may show up as starting things and never finishing them. And they might think, I, how could I be perfectionistic because I don't actually do anything, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but I tend to, I tend to attract people who are um, perfectionists, have some 
um, anxiety or control issues, again, that they may or may not be aware of. I, I can't tell you how many times people are like, oh my God, I didn't realize I had anxiety. Um, wow. A lot of the things that we do, addictions, food stuff, it's a way to try to regulate. It's, a, it's, it's our best mm -hmm. attempt to take care of ourselves, right? Absolutely. So, so a lot of times people are trying to manage a state of a, an agitated nervous system, high, high arousal. Um, people are strivers. So again, that goes with the perfectionist thing, but I feel like the people who come to me, they're really bright. They, they are really head people. They mm -hmm. think a lot. Their thinking is fast and they're insightful. And so they can often mistake that kind of insight for, um, like, it's like, why isn't my behavior changing? I know this. I know all this stuff. Why can't I make the change? But insight is way different than embodied, like, integration. Wow. That's incredible. It's and so interesting with the way that things are for timing. Um, today, my morning work was just to go over some copy that a client had written for her about page. And it was really starting out all around bulimia and addiction, growing up in a household of um, a mom being bipolar and having a lot of alcohol abuse within the home and using food to stuff emotions at a very young age and getting into the feeling of chewing and swallowing and purging as a method of feeling a moment of peace after the purge. And I thought it was just so interesting that I was going to be talking to you today. And my morning was to go over this really deep and vulnerable and beautiful about page. And I think that more people suffer with this. You know, I think that if you're not maybe in this arena where you're intimately um, involved like you are on a daily basis, I do think that there's so many people that suffer in silence. You know, there's a lot of shame around that. And especially coming from a perfectionistic um, foundation where you don't want to admit fault or take any kind of I don't want to say accountability or responsibility because that sounds negative. I don't mean it like that, but like take on that thing, like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something wrong. So how do you, I know you're a very gentle worker in what you do. How do you navigate that for people? Because this is such a personal issue. I mean, it's our whole temple. It's how we show up. And like you said earlier, um, many people are conditioned to put on a mask, you know, to be like, everything's fine. I'm going to smile my way through this, whether it was conditioning from a very young age where you had to cover for a parent that maybe wasn't showing up as a parent. You had to grow up really fast to be like, nope, everything's cool while you're trying to figure out how to use the microwave for macaroni and cheese, you know, because mom's passed out on the couch. I think those scenarios happen more often. Um, yeah. So how do you navigate that when it's so deep and personal and there's so many layers of emotion involved in that picture? Great question and, and really important one. Yeah, there's so much shame around food and weight. Um, and I, I first want to just comment that, yes, this problem around food and weight and body dissatisfaction is nearly universal among women. Now, it's a continuum. I went to the very, very low, about as low as you can go, I feel like, with bulimia and disordered eating. It was the center of my world. Mm -hmm. But because of that, um, and coming through to the other side of that, I, I noticed, oh my God, like when I found recovery, like real freedom around food stuff, I was like, oh, I'm like way freer than people who are just like 
normal eaters. Mm. Um, now there are, there are normal eaters. There are few and far between. So the first thing that I like to say to people is that that's not your fault. Mm. Like it's, it's like, it makes sense to have a distorted relationship with food and your body. As soon as you start looking at what the messages that we've inherited, mm. it's like, it would be really, really hard. It is really, really hard not to. Yeah. You know? And then when we start to really unpack, you know, behaviors that when they started, you know, um, understanding how they've served us, I don't look at addiction or eating problems as like something to root out and like throw aside. It's like these things have been helping us. Hmm. These things have been serving us. So I, I approach them with a lot of respect, a lot of respect. Um, and, and you're right that it can be extremely private, extremely shame inducing. I let people be right where they are with that. I think that a lot of times it's more comfortable to talk about intimate details of your sex life than to talk about your behavior with food. Mm-hmm. But I think that because my experience was so, um, I, I often say to people, there's nothing you could tell me that would shock me when it comes to food stuff. Like, like it's just not gonna, gonna shock me. Um, and I think holding that space where we are unshaming, like we're, we're uncoupling the behavior and the shame. That's mm-hmm. so important. That's a lot of the work I feel like is to almost with surgical precision, mm-hmm. uncouple the shame and the behavior. So the next time you find yourself doing the behavior, because these things don't go away overnight, they just don't. Anybody who tells you otherwise, you know, is, is try, probably trying to sell you something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, Absolutely. It's like the next time you find yourself potentially engaging in a behavior you don't want, when the shame isn't so coupled, there's more space to like really see what's going on. You can stay with yourself. Because usually the function of these behaviors is to, you know, leave to get like, like you might be there eating the cake, but you're, 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 you're gone. It's a way of checking out. out. Yep, absolutely. So, so we learn to stay. We like, we like increase our capacity to stay with our current experience, no matter what it is. And that's how we work with the food stuff. And that's how we work with anxiety, relationship problems, anything. At the end of the day, it's about being able to stay put with Mm -hmm. what's happening, not in a way like you're toughing it out, but with a lot of kindness, a lot of curiosity, a lot of openness. And I'd say that that's probably what people report. You know, you asked about what people say about the end result of the work. Yes. I think it's that like a much less noise in the head around food and the body. Now the body takes a long time. Food is faster. The body image stuff takes a long time, but it's totally workable. Mm -hmm. Um, deeper self-compassion, like not self-compassion that's an idea, self-compassion that's actually embodied, mm-hmm. you know, a willingness to reach out for support. Um, because again, shame stops us from doing that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I would say just a, a, a more spacious, I'm like, I notice I'm gesturing here because I think the result of this work is a more open heart, like more space for just being with life. Because when we're really identified with all this stuff, it's like there's no room. I'm looking outside at this beautiful day. I can't tell you how many summers went by. And I remember just looking outside and it was like I couldn't connect. You know, 
I can totally relate to that. You're summing this up so beautiful. Like you're reading my mind. Like any question that I have, you're like one step ahead of me and you're saying it so beautifully and it's so connected and it's, um, what a gift. I mean, it's absolutely priceless. Like you cannot put a label or a price on showing someone how to connect with their heart. And I think the, the big thing that you talked about when we're disconnected with our body, when we're disembodied and we're so used to self-criticism, we're not connected with our world. It's harder to show up. It's harder to enjoy a breeze, the chirp of a bird, you know, all the simple pleasures. And I think that part of that transformation through your work is life opens up. Like when you were talking about being able to just sit with whatever is bubbling up, whether it's the addiction or a relationship or anxiety or negative self-talk, that's something that across the board can improve people's lives and how they show up to themselves and to everybody that's in their circumference. I can't think of a greater gift than that. That is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I think so too. You know, and it's, it is that embodiment piece because that's the other thing is we learn to leave our bodies very young. And that's because that's that again, we do that for very good reasons. Mm-hmm. We can't cope with with the, if we don't have someone there to really hold that space for us and parents are very often suffering too, you know, yeah. uh, then we learn very young to leave the body. So coming back in, it's a process. It requires patience and, and support. And it's like, this is where all the good stuff is, mm. you know, because when we, when we shut down the, the pain, we shut down the joy too. We shut down the, the tears, the, the, all the processes that are just, just trying to move through us. Like you said, you're closing off to everything. And in your work, since this is something that is such a passion of yours and you show up authentically, just like you request from the people that come to you, what do you do? Like what still lights you up to come fresh to the table and open up your laptop or schedule that appointment and be there? Like what what keeps you so ignited with joy to continue your work on a daily basis? Um, you know, I'm going to use the word privilege again. Like to me, being with another human being in such an intimate way is just the ultimate privilege. Mm-hmm. I think partly that's my personality structure, you know, um, but um, there's, just, there's no work in that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no work in that. Um, the, the business part, like all the moving parts that, that, that often I come and talk to you about, you know, <laughs> like you're the, you're, you, you have such, such, such gifts there that, that to me can, can, I, I sometimes need a little, like, I, I do things, keep myself juiced around that, you know, and I'm learning, I'm learning how to, how to do that in a way that feels more light. Um, but the actual showing up for sessions, even if I'm a little like, you know, I have my days, I'm like, huh, I'd rather not five minutes in. You're I'm, in it. I'm just there. Hmm. So what is on the docket for you? I know that you have a lot of exciting things and I would love for you to share with the listeners one, how they can connect with you. And two, what are you working on? Yeah. So I'm in a big transition right now, as you know, um, I just had a big move um, and I have several new projects coming out. Um, So 
So I'm doing um, the second round of my intuitive eating. Um, it's more of a, a tuned eating and embodiment um, women's group. That's a small group that meets on Zoom like this so, so that we can see each other and capture some of that face-to-face -face goodness. Um, and we work through the principles of attuned eating and also all the stuff that gets in the way of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be starting actually geez, next week, the next round of that. Um, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, depending on my availability. I generally work with people for three months. Mm -hmm. um, and then a dear friend of mine, Benjamin, he and I just finished running um, a program in applied mindfulness that we delivered to gosh, thousands of people all around the world. It was an amazing experience. Wow. Um, and yeah, and we're transitioning to do another small group. I love small groups mm. because I like getting some of that one-on-one -on -one connection with everybody and the way that even in this online world we can create a sense of community um that's fascinating to me so um benjamin and i our our program is called embodied integrity and it's oh, about nice. just what it sounds like it's about mm. it's about living from what's most important to you really embodying your deepest values um, that is a small group program that's going to be starting in september so you can find me at mollyklarkin.com. I'll have a new website soon, but that's where I am now. And nice. Find, yes. And you can find Benjamin and I at embodiedintegrity.com. And always, you know, I love to get email. So if people have questions or, you know, are looking for support, feel free. Oh, that's awesome. And I can't recommend you enough. I've had personal experience with your coaching. I'm signed up for your um, intuitive eating program. So I absolutely can't wait to be a part of that small group. I know you're going to bring a lot of wisdom as you always do. You kind of gently peel back the layers and give us permission to be okay with wherever we are. So I'm super psyched with that. And then also I've signed up for your mindfulness retreat that you're doing some facilitation for. So girl, I follow you wherever you go because you've got it going on and I absolutely adore you. Well, you know, I feel the same way. Hmm. Well, thank you so, so much for coming and sharing. And um, it's mollyklarkin.com. So definitely connect with Molly and all of her goodness. And um, thank you again so much, Molly. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Casey. Okay. Mwah. Mm -hmm.